Welcome to C. diff spores and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us on C. diff spores and more. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, www.cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. We're now going to shift our attention from treatment to the bacteria itself. Dr. Simon Cutting is here to speak with us about this topic. Professor Simon Cutting is a bacterial geneticist. He's a wealth of knowledge on this area. His PhD was on understanding the genetic control of spore formation in Bacillus Fudilus. Dr. Cutting is currently at the Royal Holloway at the University of London, where he has worked most recently on developing bacterial spores as novel oral vaccines at the Royal Holloway. Dr. Cutting, thank you for joining us from overseas. We're really excited to have you. Yes, no problem. Thank you very much for the invitation to speak. Um, so obviously on the first slide here, um, I don't see, I don't have a button to advance it, but anyway, oh yes I do, yes I do. So you can see um, a very beautiful building there, that's the Royal Holloway. Um, I'm sitting in a, in a laboratory near to that building, um, but it's a very beautiful place. Should you ever be in England, you might come and visit. Um, as Paul said, my background for the last 30 years has been with Bacillus, the last 10 years with Clostridium difficile. Um, I'm fairly experienced with spore formers. I am primarily an academic. Um, I do have commercial interests as well. Um, but let's start with what I'm going to talk about. And really just three things. Um, First is the role of the spore. Paul mentioned to you the spore of Clostridium difficile, but what is the role of the spore in infection? I'll then um, talk a little bit about the importance of antibiotics and what that tells us about how and why we get the disease. And lastly, I'll talk a little bit about the diets and the the root cause of why you get Clostridium difficile infection. And I would like to say that I actually know precisely why we get C. difficile infection. Um, going to the next slide, this slide here the, on the upper left is a simple cartoon. And of course, you already heard this, but you're usually hospitalized and you then undergo antibiotic treatments. Um, and it's at that moment where you are at risk of acquiring C. difficile infection. And this is a very fulminant process. It happens extremely quickly. In a matter of hours, 24 hours, your gut is full of Clostridium difficile, which is producing enormous amounts of toxins. And, of course, the toxin is what causes disease. But of course, many people don't develop symptoms, rather like COVID, they don't develop symptoms of C. difficile infection. But for those who do um, suffer the disease, it's a very grueling disease, and of course, it's treated with antibiotics. 
And of course, for some people, they will go on and enter relapse, a recurrence of the disease. On the right, yours is a, an image under a microscope um, of what Clostridium difficile looks like. And I've highlighted the shiny white spheres um, are the spores. They're about a micron in length. And the vegetative cell, which is the dark rod. And the vegetative cell is the, the, the part of the bacterium which is producing the toxin. And that's alive. And um, that's what we don't want in our gut. The spore, however, is dormant. And I can tell you um, that Clostridium difficile spores are very similar to Bacillus spores. And a spore like that can survive for weeks, it can survive for months. In fact, it can survive for up to 200 million years. And if I had more time, I would explain to you how we know that. The point is the spore is an extremely robust entity. And you will know that in a hospital, spores are everywhere. They're in the environment, um, they're in feces, and that's why when you're in a hospital, you're at risk of becoming infected. That is textbook. By that, I mean we are told the spore has no other function other than to be a dormant form of the life form, which if we encounter, we can acquire that spore and it possibly could lead to infection. So, of course, a lot of energy, a lot of money is spent in controlling, trying to destroy spores in hospital environments. What I've been able to show a few years ago in my research lab is that the spore is much more involved in the disease process. It actually is coated, the surface of the spore, think of it rather like an egg. The eggshell, the surface of the spore has enzymes on it one of those enzymes we call a chitinase. Um, it doesn't really matter what that enzyme does specifically, but what I will tell you is when that enzyme comes into contact with mucus in your gut, it plays a role in degrading the mucus. It breaks down the mucus. And it means the spore is now beginning to find a way to reach the the inner layer of your gut's lining. So it's actually helping the organism get to where it wants to be. And at that point, the spore will then germinate and the infection begins proper and you will then experience symptoms. So the point is the spore is part of the disease process. It's not simply an agent of transmission and dissemination. So while I've got this slide here, on the left, you'll see a blue box. So I've already said the disease is very fulminant. You can start with 100, 200 spores of C. difficile in 24 hours. Your, let me do my maths, your five logs higher. You now have enormous quantities of C. difficile. The incidence, so you know the numbers in America, probably about a half a million people a year are infected. The United Kingdom, um, far less, but of course our population is less. But underneath you'll see the cause. What is the cause? And I've written Western lifestyle and nutrition, and I'll come to that later.
because most people, I'm sure most people in America um, who certainly have C. difficile infection ask the question, why? Because if you went to China, they don't have C. difficile infection. It's extremely rare. Go to India, it's extremely rare. So this is the roots, the most interesting point. Why do you get C. difficile? And, of course, it is now beginning to emerge in developing countries. So I have to correct myself and say, yes, it is now beginning to appear in China and India. But, of course, over the last 20 years, India and China have increased in prosperity. They now have large urban centers where they have a lot of people living a lifestyle very similar to our own. And, of course, lastly, the issues with C. difficile is, of course, we don't have a vaccine. And one of the reasons we don't have a vaccine is because all energy has been focused on targeting the toxin. The toxin is the agent which produces symptoms. But I've just told you, of course, that the spore also plays a role in the infection process. So if one had to redesign, rethink how you made a vaccine, you might think, ah, I target the toxins, but I also target the spore. And now, of course, this becomes more difficult. Coming back to that enzyme I mentioned, call it a chitinase. On the next slide, which please don't try to digest, um, I've done my, yeah, the next, this slide here, don't try to digest this slide. Just look at the top right where I mention, oh, you can probably, if you don't know what it is, the GLCNAC is a molecule we call glucosamine, N-acetylglucosamine. That is the target in the mucus which the spore of C. difficile targets. That means the spore of C. difficile binds to glucosamine. So I don't know how many active scientists there are amongst the audience here, but what that means is that if I were to eat glucosamine, I would outcompete the spore of C. difficile. So I repeat that. Clostridium difficile spores bind to glucosamine. Glucosamine is part of the mucus. So if at the same time I eat glucosamine, the spore would have to make a choice. It either binds to glucosamine or it binds to mucus. So if you follow my rationale here, you would know that if you went to CVS or Walgreens, you will be able to readily buy glucosamine because glucosamine is used as a joint, um, I'm not a medical doctor, but it's used by people who have problems with their bones. And it is a normal grass-regulated food supplement. So, of course, I've said this. The question is, can I prove it? And the answer is yes. We've proved it many times. If we take animals, mice or hamsters, and we feed those animals glucosamine, even glucosamine we buy from a drugstore, they will not get C. difficile infection. Um, and I can tell you that um, there are at least one company trying to exploit this. 
And I should also tell you, before you run out to the pharmacy, of course, the experiments we would, we've done were done with mice and hamsters. And of course, I can't predict what would happen with the human. What I can tell you is, if you were to eat glucosamine, you would decrease the risk of getting C. difficile infection. Anyway, let's go to the next slide. Um, next slide. Coming to antibiotics now. So, so, again, don't try to digest these data slides. The only thing I need to tell you is that an animal, a human, that carries C. difficile, whether you have antibiotics or you don't have antibiotics, C. difficile grows in the gut. So we're told that antibiotics promote the infection process. So when you take antibiotics in a hospital, it is true they cause dysbiosis. They disrupt the microbiota, the bacteria living in your gut to enable C. difficile to grow in the gut. But actually, C. difficile can grow with or without the antibiotics. The only thing that matters is, normally, it's got a whole load of bacteria surrounding it, and it can't get its, its, foot, its foot through the door, so to speak. It can't compete. But this raises an interesting question. If C. difficile can germinate and grow in the gut, with or without antibiotics, what is controlling C. difficile in the gut? So we know in science there are a number of explanations. I've listed them out wrongly. I'll go to point number two first, which of course is other gut commensals. So this follows the rationale of, which we've already heard, about trying to identify bacteria in the gut which maybe C. difficile doesn't like. So if you can resupplement the guts with those bacteria, you can somehow um, prevent C. difficile from growing. If, you, if you're well-read, you'll know there's other factors. One is called bile salts, which definitely influences growth of C. difficile in the gut. We also know viruses, bacteriophages, also may play a role. And lastly, diet. The diet is also important. So at this point, I'm going to, without using a slide, I'm just going to tell you one very simple observation. If you take pigs, a newborn pig contains C. difficile, the piglet in the gut is full of Clostridium difficile. The Clostridium difficile produces toxins, but the toxins don't do anything to the piglets, and the reason for that is the piglet doesn't have a receptor for the toxin. After about two to four months, there is no C. difficile, very little C. difficile in the gut of the pig. Now I'll give you another example, which is a human. A newborn child also is full of its gut is full of C. difficile. The child rarely develops C. difficile infection. The reason is because newborn infants also don't carry receptors to C. difficile, the C. difficile toxin receptor. So pigs 
and newborn infants, humans, when they're born, have guts full of Clostridium difficile. Neither humans or pigs present symptoms of disease because neither pigs or humans have receptors for the toxin by luck. But there's one difference. A newborn child takes up to two years for all of the Clostridium difficile to be removed from the gut, or the majority. So the question then is, what is the difference between a pig and a human? Well, actually, a pig and a human, newborn pig and newborn human, are almost identical. They're the same weight, roughly the same size, they have the same physiology, and they have the same immune properties. They're essentially similar. If you're a scientist, you always try to work with a pig as the perfect model. So then the question is, what is the difference between a pig and a human? Well, for any of you who have children or are familiar with students, you will immediately understand that pigs live in a dirty environment, by our standards at least. They live in the outside, in enclosures. Their food is fairly dirty. This then raises the question, what is driving C. difficile infection? So I put it to you that the root cause of C. difficile infection is our lifestyle. That is, we live a sedentary lifestyle. We live in a hypersanitized world. We are no longer exposed to environmental bacteria. So then the question is, if what I said is true, you would reason the environmental factors, and I would say to you environmental bacteria, are directly controlling C. difficile, inf C. difficile infection, C. difficile colonization. See, if I, what I said is true, you would be able to show, you would be able to explain why pigs living in the environment, as soon as they're born, those piglets are rapidly acquiring environmental bacteria which kill and control C. difficile. So for the last five years, we've been able to prove this. And we've actually been able to identify the bacteria which are present in the environment which control C. difficile. And in fact, without talking about science too much, I can tell you they are soil organisms that produce a particular type of biosurfactant molecule which when it comes into contact with C. difficile, kills it immediately. And we can detect this molecule in humans. We can detect it in pigs. We can detect it in mice. It is everywhere. And it's a natural remedy for controlling certain pathogens. So now we come back to the humans and pigs and the way we live our life. So I said at the beginning, they don't have any C. difficile infection, or very little, in China or India or Africa. Well, the reason is because the majority of people living in those countries live as we used to live 50 years ago. They live in a dirty environment. The food is dirty. The food is not washed. They walk to school. Most people in England, they, they go by car. 
And so you have to consider how our lives have changed over the last 50 years post-World War II. It's almost unrecognizable. And then you ask the question, is it something special about the United States and followed by the United Kingdom? So you then have to say, how do you live your life in America? And I don't want to offend any of the audience here, but I think as a rule, the food in America is absolutely delicious. But I think everyone knows deep down, the food is probably not that healthy. So I use the example of chlorinated chickens, um, heavily processed food, um, everyone drives a car, and there's concrete everywhere. And then you may begin to understand why more and more people in America are no longer exposed to the environmental cohorts of bacteria which ordinarily control C. difficile infection. And then you might also wonder, are there other illnesses and ailments which could be linked to this? And I just give you some examples. Inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, um, what else have I got? Allergies, eczema, food intolerance. 50, 100 years ago, these ailments were almost unheard of, but they are particularly a problem in Western society with the modern lifestyle. I can also tell you, because we are doing this experiment now, I have mice which have been growing, uh, living in our animal house for the past six months, and we have two groups of animals. We have one group of animals which live normally, and we have another group of animals where we remove all environmental bacteria, and we have sterile food. You'd be surprised, perhaps, to know that the food which live under the restricted conditions are 30% bigger than the animals that live normally. And you then wonder, is obesity partially linked to the way we live our lifestyle? I'm not for a moment saying obesity is caused only by the environment, but it is a participating factor. And lastly, I'll come to the last slide which is a recent, or relatively recent publication, showing that basically um, a particular group of carbohydrates, which are called MACs, microbiota accessible carbohydrates, um, which are present in many plant fibers, they play an important role in suppressing C. difficile infection. And this again comes back to what I was talking about before, that our diet, I mean, this is really textbook stuff, and I think we all know this, but it's poor diet, which is also playing a role. One year ago, there was a paper by Brendan Wren and Trevor Lawley showing that a, a diet which is glucose-rich is also increasing the diversity of C. difficile in the environment. And taken together, the root cause C. difficile infection is the way we live our lives. It's the modern lifestyle, which, of course, has many benefits. But it's also causing the emergence of new ailments 
of which C. difficile is one of them. And unfortunately for some people, for whatever reason, they are more at risk. And it is those people who walk into a hospital, they take their antibiotics, and now they have a problem. Um, so probably, you know, in a perfect world, everyone would readjust their lifestyle. Um, but that is the root cause. And I think that is the last thing I need to say. We're now going to shift gears, and I'm going to introduce Dr. Tina Chopra. Tina is a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Disease at Wayne State University and corporate medical director of hospital epidemiology, infection control, and antibiotic stewardship at Detroit Medical Center and Wayne State University. Dr. Chopra will be speaking about a great program through the Seda Foundation that our children uh, get involved with. She's the head of that, and also she's going to be talking about an introduction to infection prevention. Tina? Thank you, Dr. Fjordstad, and thank you to the Seedit Foundation, to Nancy, for having me today. Uh, Dr. Cutting, it was a great presentation and also a nice segue to the pathogenesis of spores and how we can uh, prevent uh, infection with uh, from Cedis, especially because it is such a nuisance bacteria that it has it, it is sporulating, and to eliminate the spores from our environment is a tough one. So with this, I will. Uh, I wanted to bring um, to your attention some of the. Um, in co-infections that we have seen during the COVID pandemic, uh, we were we were uh, able to report uh, the first case series on CDF and COVID-19 co-infections. And strangely enough, um, COVID patients did not present with shortness of breath, but rather presented with diarrhea. And um, that's what I would like to discuss. Um, uh, talking about, these were about nine patients that we identified at the Detroit Medical Center, and our cohort was mostly uh, elderly patients, more than 65, predominantly female. And um, if you notice, our C. diff rate per 10,000 patient days prior to the beginning of the pandemic was about 3.32. But during the month of March and April alone, it went up to 3.6 which was a big jump as compared to before. And these were the characteristics of these patients. Uh, these were, like I said, um, median age was 75. They were predominantly female. Um, they had prior history of hospitalizations, which we know is a risk factor. They had a median Charlson score of eight. So they had a lot of comorbid illnesses. Uh, majority of them presented with uh, fever and diarrhea. In addition, they had some mild cough as well. Um, they had uh, an average WBC count of 12, and some of them also had positive blood cultures on admission. Uh, so the interesting thing is some of them were diagnosed with CDF on admission, about two of them, but others, seven of them actually had CDF diagnosis after COVID-19 was diagnosed. Most commonly administered antibiotics were cefepime, so all your cephalosporins, which are high risk, others are miropenem and azithromycin. And one of the patients we ended up doing a fecal transplant, but the others were predominantly treated with oral vancomycin. But if you look at their outcomes, four of them ended up dying. One went to hospice, and um, the other four went to a long-term care facility. So very poor outcomes with this co-infection. Again, telling you that how the immune system is affected. COVID, we know that affects the immune system, but we also 
have learned about the gut microbiome and how C. diff and COVID interact together in these patients. So this, these cases highlight the importance of judicious use of antibiotics for potential secondary bacterial infections in patients with COVID-19. Um, as you notice, most um, patients were on antibiotics about five days. All patients were elderly in our cohort, again highlighting the importance of the risk uh, involved in these patients and um, also the importance of stewardship, how we need to integrate antibiotic stewardship uh, in this era uh, where we, we are in the post-antibiotic era, not only in the hospitals but also in the community. So this uh, tells you that symptoms of C. diff can complicate the diagnosis of COVID-19 as both conditions can have similar manifestations. In our study, one patient had GI symptoms on admission, uh, which led to a delayed diagnosis of COVID. So uh, important to consider both COVID-19 and C. diff in patients with diarrhea during the pandemic and distinguishing between actual C. diff infection and colonization is also important. Um, one of the limitations I would say is that uh, we had a small number of cases, um, but uh, nevertheless, it's important to recognize it. Now I'm going to switch gears and talk about our Junior Infection Fighter Program, which I'm very excited about to introduce you to, to this audience. I think uh, despite the pandemic, the Junior Infection Fighters have been extremely prolific and productive during, the, um, during this time and have um, done uh, amazing work in helping with peer education. You can see here they are doing the Glogium experiment with their peers. Um, the, they also have uh, distributed activity books through the CDF Foundation that introduced them to the core concepts of infection control, hand hygiene, bacteria, viruses, nutrition, dental hygiene, vaccination, and even COVID. They have also been involved in team activities, glogium experiments, and respiratory etiquette. The infection prevention um, uh, program uh, has been introduced through the uh, CDF uh, Foundation as well as through the junior infection fighters, and they have um, introduced how it is important to uh, perform hand hygiene, the five uh, opportunities uh, that are so important, uh, and I think for our community it is very important to understand that these five uh, opportunities that have been um, very much in place by uh, WHO as well as CDC include before touching a patient, before cleaning um, uh, and performing aseptic procedures, after um, body fluid exposures, after touching a patient and after touching patient surroundings. Uh, also, uh, we have introduced the uh, infection prevention and you, you the um, uh, APIC uh, guidelines where uh, they give very nice uh, visual descriptions of including infection prevention as a part of your daily routine. I think for our community it's very important to, uh, I want to di direct you to this APEX uh, page. And then of course antibiotic stewardship which we have introduced in the community and we have introduced both in the adults as well as through the junior infection fighters, the ABCs of antibiotics which include ask, uh, are, these, are these antibiotics necessary? Uh, do I have a viral infection so I don't need antibiotics? And um, so they only kill bacteria. So B is for bacteria and C is completing the course uh, of your antibiotics. So with this, I will stop here and again, thank you for uh, having me.
because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks. Because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. We thank Series Therapeutics for being the sponsor of the Patient and Family C. diff Symposium. Series Therapeutics has reported positive top-line results from the Pivotal Phase 3 Ecospore 3 study evaluating its investigational oral microbiome therapeutic SER109 for recurrent C. difficile infection. To learn more about Series Therapeutics, please visit their website at seriestherapeutics.com. That's S-E-R-E-S therapeutics.com. As we shift now to transitions of care, uh, I'm honored to introduce Doey Clay. Doey is a senior infection preventionist for Clorox for the Clorox company, registered nurse and a board-certified in infection control and epidemiology, has nearly 20 years of acute care infection prevention experience, working in large healthcare systems such as Intermountain Healthcare in Utah and Kaiser Permanente in California. She's going to be providing us with a discussion on the ever-important transition of care from the hospital home. Good day to everyone from sunny California. I'd like to thank the C. diff Foundation for inviting me to present today. It's always such a pleasure to be able to contribute to the great work of this foundation. And thank you all for joining me as I discuss the key things that you can do to prevent the transmission of C. diff. This slide shows the four things I'll touch on in our 15 minutes together. How infections are spread in general, how to keep from getting C. diff, or really any infection, in the event that you or a loved one is ever hospitalized, how to prevent spreading C. diff in the home, or really any infection, including COVID, and the safe use of disinfectants in the home. This one is particularly important with the heightened attention to cleaning and disinfection that this pandemic has brought. So let's jump right in. I'll start by laying the foundation with a brief overview of the chain of infection. The chain of infection is a framework that describes the sequence of events that must take place in order for an infection to occur. It applies to all pathogens, including C. diff, and even new pathogens like the virus that causes COVID-19. The chain of infection is continuous and repeats itself until it's broken. If we break just one link, any link in this chain, infection will not occur. The first link in the chain is the infectious agent. For example, the bacterium that causes C. diff. The second link is the reservoir for the infectious agent. In a nutshell, this is where the pathogen lives. Reservoirs can include people, environmental surfaces, water, air, food, and so forth. The common reservoirs for C. diff are the intestines and stool of an infected or colonized person, contaminated environmental surfaces like doorknobs and toilet handles, and soiled hands. And the third link in the chain is a portal of exit. This is how the pathogen leaves its reservoir. For C. diff, an example of a portal of exit would be 
the rectum of an infected person. The fourth link is the mode of transmission. This is how the infectious agent or pathogen gets from point A to point B. For example, COVID-19 is spread primarily by the droplet route, while C. diff is spread by the contact and oral fecal routes. Contact here means touch. And oral fecal transmission is where pathogens in fecal particles pass from one person into the mouth of another person or are ingested. If you're wondering how it is that we can ingest C. diff spores, well, eating or taking medications with unclean hands are some of the more common ways. Kind of a gross thought, right? The fifth link in the chain is the portal of entry, and this is how the pathogen enters your body. For example, the portal of entry for the COVID-19 virus is when a susceptible person breathes in the virus carried in droplets after an infected person coughs or sneezes. And for C. diff, well, the primary portal of entry is ingestion, as previously mentioned. And the sixth and final link, you must have a susceptible host. This is a person who is not immune to or is otherwise susceptible to the infectious agent they're exposed to. For example, a person who fails to get their flu shot every year is susceptible to getting influenza. For COVID-19, few people have immunity to this new virus, so pretty much the entire population is susceptible. And for C. diff, certain conditions can make a person more susceptible, such as disruption of the healthy gut flora with antibiotics. As I stated earlier, breaking just a single link in this chain will stop infection from occurring. But how do we break these links? Well, there's simple things like frequent hand hygiene, routine cleaning and disinfection of environmental surfaces, covering our sneezes and our coughs, staying home when we're ill, and keeping current on our immunizations. So now that we have a better idea of how infections are spread, let's review some tips to protecting yourself from C. diff in the event that you ever require a hospitalization. Let's take a minute to review each of these five tips shown here. First and foremost, you must be your own advocate. This means speaking up when you see something that doesn't look right. Don't be afraid to remind healthcare workers to perform hand hygiene before they touch you. In fact, they're expecting you to. And the same goes for your visitors. Second, since C. diff can be transmitted by the oral fecal route, be sure to frequently clean your own hands, particularly before you eat or before taking any medications by mouth, after using the restroom, and when you return to your room from a test or a procedure, or even taking a walk in the halls. Third, be sure that your room and bathroom are cleaned and disinfected each day that you're in the hospital. Cleaning staff should be focusing on surfaces that are frequently touched, such as the overbed table, bed rails, call light, and the TV remote, to name a few. Additionally, be sure to ask the healthcare team to disinfect medical equipment that, that will come into contact with you, including things like stethoscopes and blood pressure cuffs. And fourth, since the leading cause or risk factor for C. diff infection is antibiotic use, be sure to ask your healthcare team, have them tell you what each medication is that they're administering to you and what it's for. If it's an antibiotic, ask, what infection is this treating and when can it be discontinued? Finally, regarding probiotics, 
There's a lot of debate over their effectiveness in preventing C. diff, but there's also a lot of really great work going on in this arena. So in my opinion, they certainly can't hurt, and it's definitely worth having a discussion with your doctor about. So sometimes, despite everyone's best efforts, C. diff infections still occur. Let's review what we can do to prevent spreading it to our loved ones when it's time to go home. First, it's very important to disinfect your home regularly. But sometimes the terminology can be confusing, so let's take a moment to clarify the subtle but important differences between cleaning, sanitizing, and disinfection. Cleaning is the removal of dust and debris and dirt from a surface by scrubbing, washing, and rinsing. It does not necessarily kill or remove all germs. Sanitizing products, on the other hand, do reduce bacterial counts on surfaces to levels safe for food contact, but they don't kill viruses. Now, disinfecting products, on the other hand, kill both bacteria and viruses on hard surfaces. See the product's label to identify specifically which bacteria or viruses the product will kill. Disinfecting is one of the most reliable ways to help lower the risk of spreading germs through contact with surfaces. And because C. diff spores can be very difficult to kill or inactivate, it's really important to clean the surface first, followed by disinfection. So use one wipe to clean and grab a new wipe to disinfect. Two steps. Shown here are some basic practices to stop C. diff transmission to others in your home. Hand hygiene is the single most effective way to prevent the spread of infections. I cannot emphasize this one enough. Other things include not preparing meals for your family until you've completed your treatment and you have gone 48 to 72 hours without any acute diarrhea. Use a separate bathroom at home while you're still having diarrhea and be sure to wipe down the toilet seat and fixtures with a diluted bleach solution after each trip to the restroom. Also be sure to wipe down frequently touched surfaces in the home such as cell phones, remote controls, doorknobs, refrigerator handles, countertops and tables. And since C. diff spores can survive up to five months on a surface, I do recommend cleaning these surfaces at least twice daily while you're acutely ill. And be sure to bathe daily to remove any C. diff spores that you could be carrying on your body. And last, don't share personal items like bed linens, towels, and clothing. Launder these items using the hottest water possible, and if it's safe to do so, add bleach. Be sure to dry because be sure to dry using the hottest setting on your dryer. And as an infection control nurse, I often get asked, is it okay to hug their loved ones if infected with C. diff? And the short answer is yes. According to the CDC, healthy people will often not become infected if the spores reach their intestines. However, if a person's immune system is weakened or they've recently taken antibiotics, they could potentially get sick. So high-risk individuals really should avoid visiting until your illness has resolved. So now I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about disinfectant safety, our final topic. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, calls to poison control centers regarding exposures to cleaners and disinfectants have increased significantly. In response, the Centers for Disease Control conducted a survey, and not too surprisingly, they found 
knowledge gaps in the safe use of household cleaners and disinfectants. Approximately one in three of the survey respondents reported engaging in high-risk practices with the intent to prevent COVID-19. Some of these unsafe practices included washing fruits and vegetables with bleach, applying household cleaners or disinfectants to bare skin, and even intentionally inhaling or ingesting these products. So for your safety, please ensure adequate ventilation or airflow in the area being cleaned and disinfected. Never mix bleach with other chemicals, including vinegar and ammonia. When diluting bleach, always add the bleach to the water and not the other way around to prevent a chemical splash. Never use cleaners and disinfectants on your bare skin and never ever ingest or inhale disinfectants. Be sure to wear appropriate personal protective equipment like gloves and eye protection according to the manufacturer's written instructions for use and always wash your hands after cleaning and disinfecting tasks. Last, be sure to store these products according to the manufacturer's instructions for use and keep them out of the reach of children. Now to ensure destruction of C. diff spores, the CDC recommends a 1 to 10 dilution of bleach for cleaning in the home. How do we make a 1 in 10 dilution? By mixing 1 part bleach to 9 parts water. 1 plus 9 equals 10, so that's an easy way to remember what a 1 in 10 dilution is. Diluted bleach should be made fresh every single day, and again, Focus on those frequently touched surfaces around the home that we've already discussed and be sure to keep the surface wet with the solution for at least five minutes. Finally, because bleach can sometimes leave a residue, you might want to occasionally remove this with a damp clean cloth. So in summary, we've learned how infections are spread using the chain of infection framework and we also learned how to break this chain. Things that will break this chain really are quite simple and they include things like hand hygiene and environmental cleaning and disinfection. We learned the five things we can do to protect ourselves from C. diff while in the hospital, but we also learned the steps to take in the home to prevent the spread to our loved ones. And we learned how to use disinfectant safely, primarily by following the instructions for use. And I think the biggest take home message here is that we really need to get back to basics to prevent all infections. For more information on this topic, you can listen to my C. diff spores and more podcast with Nancy from last July at the link shown on this slide. Thank you everyone for your time and attention. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and enjoy the rest of the symposium. I'm so pleased to introduce Ben Renata Johnson, so kind enough to provide experiences with this infection. A great honor to be here with you all. Let me share you my story through the CDF. In August 2018, I was in a hospital for my pacemaker implant. I remember right after surgery, they gave me clondomycin antibiotics via IV to prevent any infection. After about three days from when I got home, I started to feel sick with nausea, lost appetite, uh, frequent stool, and some abdominal pain. At first, I thought it was just a transition from being at the hospital and just uh, 
part of post-post surgery recovery. But when it wasn't going away, I started to wonder about that uh, if uh, I should probably see primary physician. He told me right away that I just need more time for healing because I was not feeling better. A week later, I went to see him again, and then again, and again, and again. Eventually, on my request, he tested my stool. He tested me for salmonella and E. coli and something else. The results came back negative. A couple weeks later, I noticed thick mucosa in the stool, and at that point, I requested to send me to gastroenterologist. The GI doctor immediately suspected C. diff infection and put me on flagell for 10 or 14 days. It took, uh, I started to feel very quickly better, but unfortunately, about four days after I finished the flagell, the C. diff came back. The gastroenterologist put me immediately on vancomycin for 10 days. It was 125 milligrams four times a day. I was responding very well. The diarrhea, nausea, and pain was disappearing. And by the time I was done with vancomycin, I was okay for about 90 days. During this time, I started more wonder and research about this infection. I learned about CD Foundation and the program, and I also purchased a book about CD infection, another book about managing the nutrition written by Nancy Carolla and Karen Factor. And all this helped me better understand the CD infection I also learned uh, about pulse taper therapy with vancomycin and also about fecal microbiota transplant. As I mentioned, I was okay for about 90 days, and I started to believe that I'm completely recovered. When one evening I started to feel very weak, then some nausea came, and after that, countless diarrhea, one after another one all night. I felt extremely weak and nauseated. I had a hard time just get out of the bed and walk into the bathroom. I thought that I should just lay down on the bathroom floor so I don't need to walk back and forth. I was still trying to be optimistic and hope that this is just a virus I must have contracted somewhere. Unfortunately, the test stool test confirmed worst nightmare, nightmare C. diff infection was back. At this time, it was actually on my suggestion, the doctor put me on pulse taper therapy of vancomycin. The treatment was spread out for eight weeks. After that, I was okay for about two months when I started to get sick again. At this time, it was coming slowly. The stool was mostly like a pudding, sometimes kind of formed. I was having nausea and being weak. It was almost already one year since I got sick with the C. diff first time, and I already lost over 40 pounds, and my weight was barely over 100 pounds. 
I was having lots of anxiety, being depressed, and worried if I ever get out of this. So I started ask my doc doctor about fecal microbiota transplant. I felt like at this point it was the only way how to get ready with this evil illness. Finally, at the beginning of July 2019, I went through it. The procedure was successful and it got ready with the seeded infection. I would like to make one remark here. This was July 2019. Uh, so, uh, about six months before coronavirus came to U.S. because FDA issued warning that several recent study has documented the presence of SARS-CoV-2 in some donor stool donated after December 2019. It has been about 18 months since FMT and I am still not completely back in my normal my recovery was also affected by gallbladder removal just about four months after FMT. I am also having IBS, GERD, I'm lactose intolerant, and I have diverticulosis. All those conditions I had pretty much before, but they went all worse after the, uh, after the illness, after the CD. I have been able to tolerate only very light diet. I feel often nausea, sometimes diarrhea, and feeling sick. Few times when my diarrhea was accompanied with nausea for a few days or for a week, I was thinking that maybe the sedative is back. According to my experience, there was no perfect pattern on sedative infection uh, recurrences. Sometimes I had uh, severe diarrhea, Sometimes it was look like pudding, sometimes partially formed stool. Unfortunately, only the test can rule out the infection, and that is frustrating for patients. This terrible illness affected me not just physically, but also mentally. Thanks for CD Foundation, I am getting more and more information about this disease through different free programs they're offering like once a month free consultation with Dr. Oneto, Dr. Feuerstadt, and dietitian Karen Pactor. I am also often listening on Tuesday's radio show hosted by Nancy Carolla. All this is helping me better understand this disease and cope with. I don't know what I would do without all this generous help. They become almost like my family that I can always turn into. Um, at this point, I would like to say thank you to Nancy Carolla, who is the founder and president of the CD Foundation, for all the incredible, incredible and hard work she do, and lots of volunteers also. Without this foundation, lots of CD patients would have no way but to turn in for help. Also, very special thank you to Dr. Oneto and Dr. Feuerstadt and Karen Factor for donating their time and offering once a month free sessions available for all CD patients and survivors. I also got message to patients. If you're suffering of this or any other disease, 
Please don't give up. Be advocate for yourself and don't lose hope. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us today on C. diff spores and more. And we are grateful for your dedication in the healthcare and health and wellness community. At this time, the members of the C. diff foundation would like to thank our sponsor Clorox healthcare to learn more about their products and how Clorox healthcare is keeping the environment safer. Please visit www.cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash radio. We wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health through research and development of the new products to address C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff, Prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org. Help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website. We send our get well wishes to all the patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated around the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.